if there are some children in here that would like to hear a story, I'd love to have you join me up here right now as I tell you a story from the Bible. Come on up here and have a seat. I'm going to have a seat. Wow. How you guys doing? Good. You look happy. Yeah. Look at this. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And, and, oh, wow. I think I'm going to need to move this chair a little bit so that I get everybody in here. I like this chair, but my, my little thing gets stuck in it. So, are you ready? So, here we go. How many of you have ever heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? Have you, have you heard that story? Good. That's what I'm going to read to you right now. It goes like this. There was a man who asked Jesus a question. And the man who asked Jesus a question was very, very smart. Maybe, just maybe, he was trying to trick Jesus and to see if he was a good teacher or not. This is what he asked. He's a teacher. What should I do so I can go to heaven and live forever? And Jesus replied, what is written in the Bible? What do you think? The man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right, said Jesus. Do this, and you will forever live in heaven. But the man wanted to know more, so he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus decided to answer the question with a parable, a little story, to help everyone who was listening understand. Jesus said, there once was a Jewish man walking along a road. He was coming from Jerusalem and was heading to Jericho, which was a full day of walking. The road was rocky, and there were small hills all around. And so the man was just humming to himself and enjoying the nice day when suddenly a group of men jumped out from behind the hill. They took all his belongings and tore off most of his clothes. They didn't want him to follow them, so they beat him up really badly and left him lying and bleeding on the side of the road. A few minutes later, a priest, a holy man, was walking down the same path, and he noticed the man lying on the side of the road. Do you know what he did? You'd think he would run over and help the man, right? Instead, he actually crossed the road and walked on the other side and acted like he didn't even see the man. About an hour later, another man called the Levite was walking down the road. Levites were people who assisted priests with their work. And he would probably help the man too. But you know what he did? He slowed down and walked a little closer to the man, but then kept on walking without helping him at all. You might be thinking that maybe the man lying by the side of the road looked like he was resting or something, and that is why the priest and the Levite didn't stop to help. But the trouble is, it was easy to tell he was badly hurt. The man was bleeding, had most of his clothes ripped off him, and was bruised and hardly breathing. 
Just a few minutes later, another man came walking. He was a Samaritan man. One thing you should know about Samaritans is that Jews didn't like them at all. Oh no, Jews usually didn't treat Samaritans very well, so they never got along. The man who was dying on the road was a Jew, so what do you think the Samaritan did? You would think he would walk by and maybe even laugh at the man. But actually, as soon as he, was, as soon as he saw the man, he went over to him and felt compassion for him. He put bandages on his sores and poured oil and wine, which were very expensive, on the sores to prevent them from getting worse. And then he lifted the man on his own donkey and took him to a hotel to take care of him. And the next day, the Samaritan took out enough money so that the man could stay at the hotel until he was well enough to leave. He paid the man at the front desk and asked him to take care of the man. If he wasn't better after about a month, the Samaritan would come back and pay for an extra, any extra cost. After Jesus finished telling the story, he asked the question, which of the three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who was left beaten on the side of the road? Which one do you think? The Samaritan? Yeah, you guys are right. It was the Samaritan. The man who asked the question at the beginning replied, yeah, the one who had compassion on him and helped him. And then Jesus said to them, well, go and do the same thing. So, you think about that story as I tell the story even deeper in a few moments here. But before you go, you make sure you go to Uncle Fred right there. He's got some gifts for you to go back to your seat with, okay? Thank you for being such great listeners. We got some great kids, don't we? I'm telling you. So I was in my, uh, in my 20s once. And uh, I was actually, uh, you know, I was, I, when you're in your 20s, you're always looking for like odds and end jobs, things that you can do to make a little extra money. And there was this tennis club in New Rochelle, New York, that was hiring somebody to be a tennis attendant. I used to like playing tennis, and I thought, well, how hard could that be? You know, you go there and you clean up the courts once in a while, you get to play some tennis. You know, you get paid some good money. Why not? You know, so I went there and I, and I got to do exactly that. I got hired right away. I was really happy. It was a great job because you got to sit out in the sun most of the time. If it rained, nobody came to play, so it was no big deal. And so, you know, you just got to sit out there. And, and then if it was quiet and not too many people were playing, I got to take out my racket and play a little bit. And I would play with people that would, that would come and play there. And the, but there was always a time, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, once a week, that this semi-pro by the name of Mark, we'll call him Mark, because that was his name. <laughs> he would come and he, would, he was young and he would play. He would come with a coach, and, you know, he'd always have to practice. He'd have this big thing of, of, of things that shot the balls, and, you know, he would hit him, and then he would play a game with, with, with the coach. And, and every time I saw Mark play, I thought, man, this guy is really good. But he was a little cocky, Mark. You know what I mean? Like, he knew he was good. And I'm thinking, man, you know, why, why is he so 
you know, I hate that about this guy, you know. And, and then I would watch him play and I'd say, you know, I could do that. You're not that good. I could play like that. But I never, never tried to uh, approach him because even though I thought that, I knew that he was really, really good. And then one day there was a rumor. And the rumor was that his shoulder was hurting. And he comes to practice on that day. I'll never forget this. It was a Tuesday. He comes to practice. And you could just tell. He's just, ah, he's going like this. And he's hitting it wrong. And the coach had to leave early. And he's like, oh, man. And so I decided I'm going to jump on this one, man. I said, come on, man. I'll take you on. You want to play? And he's like, come on, Serge. It's okay, man. You know, I'm like, come on, Mark. You could do this, you know. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's a good idea, Serge. You know, you, you're the tennis attendant. You know what I mean? I'm like, come on. He goes, you're going to get hurt. That's what he said to me. I said, no, I'm not. You know, I said, let me just, just try this, you know. So next thing I know, I'm on the court with Mark. And at first, we're just kind of hitting the ball around, just kind of loosening up a little bit, you know. And, uh, man, I, my backhand was perfect, man. I was doing some good stuff, moving around, you know. And back in the days when my knees were better and my stomach was smaller, I could do some stuff, you know, and it was great. I was having a good time. And then I finally said, okay, man, enough practice. Let's go ahead and let's play. He's like, all right. So uh, I got to serve first. And so I took it on. I did my best serve ever, man. In fact, it was so good that he couldn't hit it back. That was pretty cool, right? And I, I was so happy to say it. 15, love. And that was the only point I made <laughs> for the next six games. I was so humiliated. I was schooled by him. <laughs> and, and every game after that, it was like, you know, 15 love, you know, 30 love. Why do they call it love when you're losing? I didn't feel any love at all. I felt like really bad about it. I gotta find, I gotta look this up. You know, why is it called love when you're losing in tennis? Anybody know? Tell me later. I wanna know. <laughs> Have you ever challenged someone that is way out of your league? You know what I'm talking about? The story we're gonna talk about is about this guy that decides to challenge someone as way out of his league. The story is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, and if you have your Bibles, you can look in there. I'm actually going through the NIV Bible, but you can also look it up on the screen, and it goes like this. It says, on one occasion, an expert, that's what my Bible says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This is an expert. He's standing up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was a question that was on many people's hearts back then. Not as many people today Ask that question. And this is an expert of the law. It says, what must they do to inherit eternal life? And then it says, Jesus says, 
what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're the expert. He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. See, what he was, the first part of that is what we call the great Shama. Uh, when I lived in New York, I, I have not seen it here, so I don't know if we have too many Jewish people that live in the Tri-Cities, but when I lived in New York, there were many, many Jewish people that lived there. And whenever you would walk into one of their houses, or before you would walk into their houses, on the doorpost, have you ever seen this? There was this little, this, this little like metal thing, uh, and on it is engraved the Shama. That, that, that little thing is called the mezuzah. And the mezuzah had this, this thing on it that said just exactly those words. Those were the words that every child was to memorize. Every, Jewish, every good Jewish person was to memorize these words, the Shama, that was found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That the Lord was one and there was only one God and you should love with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he says the second one, which very few people ever would say this. He said, you know, if you were to sum up the law, the Torah, the, the five books of the Old Testament, into two things, basically what he's saying is, this is what, this is what it would be, the two things. You would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then number two, this is really important, you would love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So, this expert is trying to engage Jesus in this theological discussion. See, theologians like to do that because it makes them feel smart. But Jesus took what could have easily turned into a useless blow-by-blow theological debate. He pulls this question from a fruitless argument and masterfully places it on a dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Here's this guy that's trying to trick Jesus (coughs) with this question. He's the expert. And he answers, Jesus says, well, okay, I'll tell you what. What is, what is the law say? You're the expert, say it. Now here's what you need to know right from the start. Every single parable that Jesus ever told have nothing to do with works. Let me repeat that. Every single parable that Jesus ever told has nothing to do with works. It has to do with grace. It is extremely important to get that as your preview before we go dive into this story that Jesus says. Because we may be tempted to think of it in a totally different light. We may be tempted to think of this in the wrong light altogether. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this as we move forward. This is not a story about works. So even the fact that Jesus would immediately say to him, well, what does the law say? Isn't that kind of a weird question for Jesus? If we are saved by grace, why is he asking what does the law say? Well, who is he talking to? He's talking to an expert of the law. Does that make sense? And so he's saying, well, let me just just meet you at your ground. This is where you're at. This is where I am. I love Jesus. I love the fact that one of the, and this is 
the most amazing aspect of parable telling is that he was always figuring out ways to meet people where they were at. Even if they were legalists. He didn't not love them. He loved them. And so he's like, well, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And you're, you're into the law. This is what your expertise is in. Let me meet you right there. What do you think it says? And he says that. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. End of argument. Now, perhaps back then it wasn't as difficult as it is today, but I do want to make one important point here that I think in 2019 we must make because I meet people every day that struggle with this. The assumption here is that you have to have a healthy sense of love for yourself. Are you getting what I'm saying here? I mean, how can I love my neighbor as I love myself if I don't love myself? And there are so many people in the world today that are so insecure, they're so filled with, 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 with disdain about themselves that all they're trying to do is to become somebody else instead of being who God designed them to be. I think some of us in this room need to fall in love with ourselves. I'm not talking about some arrogant stuff here. I'm not talking about pride. That's not even love. I am talking about a healthy sense of self-worth because Jesus died on the cross for you. And if he loves you that much, you owe it to yourself to find the path to love yourself like Jesus loved you. And in order for us, and perhaps maybe this is the challenge that we have in not being able to love neighbors, is because probably the challenge is that we struggle with loving ourselves because the command is love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Now, I got to tell you right now, it's easy to love my neighbors. I got some great neighbors. I got Gail and Ricky on this side. And, and they just bought a new snowblower. <laughs> I, I, I try not to go there, but it's really hard. And they're old-er The Nancy and I. And that very first snow, you know, the one like over a week ago, <coughs> the one was, was kind of like the the warning snow, you know what I'm talking about? I looked out the window, and there is my neighbor snow blowing our walkway and our driveway. And I opened the door and I cheered her on. Go, Gail. You go, girl. Keep doing this. <coughs> and she did. On the other side, I've got Bob and Marilyn. They are the sweetest couple you could ever imagine. 
And they will do anything for you. Anytime we go away on vacation and we need somebody to pick up our mail, to do, just, just ask Bob and Marilyn. They watch over the dog if the dog is staying there and somebody's coming once. They watch to make sure that no thieves come by. Not that we have anything to steal, but hey, you know, they're there. They're making sure. I love Bob and Marilyn. Across the street, we got Vince and Jennifer. And they got young kids. And those kids come over and they help Nancy with helping cleaning out the garage and doing things. And we, we, we just, uh, you know, we get together sometimes and been praying for them. We help them. They help us. We have great neighbors. Uh, when the second snowstorm came, I was actually driving back from Walla Walla. I did great until I got to my street. I made it all the way to my street, I want to tell you. And then I got stuck. And I had some neighbors I had never met down the road who pushed my car to the spot. Oh, oh, we were so close. Got to know them, talked to them a little bit. And then that Sunday, some guys from this church who loved me so much came and, and shoveled my whole walkway and, and, and made a path for me. They helped me get my car back closer to my house. I got great neighbors. This is easy. <coughs> love your neighbors. Don't you love your neighbors? Now, I've met some people. I'm going to get my bottle of water here if you don't mind. I've met some people that would say that their neighbors are neighbors from hell. And I understand that. I get it. But I've been very blessed and lucky. I've had some great neighbors in my life. I hope you're not thirsty. We love doing things for each other, don't we? In fact, I got to thank Doug for putting this post on, on Facebook because it fit this sermon so perfectly. He has this post of his truck, which, by the way, he's got a nice four-wheel truck, you know. He had no problem getting around during this time. And, 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 and the post said, uh, hoping for karma after helping 30 people out of ditches in the past seven days, right? He was a good neighbor. The people you probably didn't even know. Some of them you probably knew, but some of them you didn't even know, right? And that's what we hope for. Like, if we do good, maybe something good will happen to us, right? And maybe that's what this parable is about, huh? No. Not even close. Not even close. So this expert... In verse 29, do not miss these next few words because they are so powerful. But he wanted to justify himself. Now, see, a casual reading of this passage may make us think that what this is saying is 
He wanted to somehow be able to prove that he was right, that somehow he could continue the argument with Jesus. But I think that the reason why the words are just like that is because there is something deeper about this story. When it says that he wanted to justify himself. See, I think all of us fall into the trap of wanting to justify ourselves. Isn't that true? How do I justify myself? I heard about this little girl who couldn't say the word justified. She would say justified. It's justified. No, justified. 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 Why are you saying justified? Well, because it means just as if I'd never sinned. I thought, well, now that's pretty cool. So I call it justified now. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked the question. And who is my neighbor? Like, like who qualifies? In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, it says, For we hold that no one is justified. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. We hold that, that everyone is justified by faith and that no one is justified apart, by, apart from the works of the law. In Romans 5, 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more, how much more shall we be saved by him? See, you cannot justify yourself. You understand that, right? We could try. And I challenge you. And I think that's, that's what Jesus was doing right here. He was saying, this is a perfect, this is a perfect question. I, I wanted you to ask me, who is my neighbor? I wanted you to get to the point where you would just wanted to be justified on this. You wanted to get to this point because you're an expert in the law. So let's get to that. And so this is when he tells the story. He says, in reply, instead of saying it was my name, he just says, okay, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. (sighs) Forgive me. I'm not one of these people that believes that the Bible is like word for word, you know. I, I, don't, I believe that the context is important, that the, that, that the, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, essence of the whole thing is really important. The con- everything is really important. But I think sometimes there are ways in which we read this that really open up our mind to things, don't they? Because here's what you need to know about Jericho. Jericho was about 15 miles 4,000 feet downhill. So when it says he was going down to Jericho, he was going down 15 miles, 4,000 feet. That's fast. Now, he's not driving. Right? He's either walking or he's on a donkey. Boom, you know. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe it's figurative to us on the road to Jericho. Maybe some people in this room today feel like they're on the road to Jericho. They're just going down. You're going down fast. That road was notorious for being dangerous. So Jesus chooses this specific road 
from Jerusalem to Jericho to tell the story. He says, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I wonder if some of you today feel like you're going down fast. I wonder how many are sitting in this room right now and you feel like you've been beaten and you're half dead and nobody could see it because you've done a good job bandaging yourself. See, one of the things that you always must do when we hear a story, a parable of Jesus, here's one of the things you must always do. Ready? Always ask, who do I identify with in the story? So ask yourself, who do you identify with in the story as I read it, okay? So first it says, a priest happened to go, be going down the same road. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. Going down the same road. Are you catching this? Is it just me? A priest is going down the same road. Just because he's a priest, that doesn't mean that he's going uphill. He's going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. How many of you identify with this guy? The priest. You just, you're like, come on, you know what I'm talking about. I can prove it to you. How many times you've been in your car? And you're, you're driving, and you see the blinkers of this guy trying to get in your lane. And you make believe you don't see it. And you go faster. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Right? And that's exactly what happened here. He's like, no. Most likely, by the way, if he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, he had just left the temple. And most likely, he didn't want his life interrupted we live in a world that's so busy and so crazy and our lives we don't want them interrupted isn't that true how many times have you driven by somebody whose car was broken down and you could have stopped but you were late or you were on your way somewhere important and you didn't stop I'm willing to raise my hand and say there's been times when I've done that. When I just decided to get into the other lane. Because I was on my way somewhere going fast. It says, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. Maybe they weren't busy and maybe they weren't even, maybe what they were is afraid. Maybe they were sitting there going, well, if I stop, the same people that did this to him are going to do it to me. I, I'm from New York. I'm going to tell you right now. I'd be like, is that, is that ketchup on him? Is he in on this? Am I being set up? Is this a sting or something? I'm not falling for that. So maybe they were afraid. You know, this is a dangerous road. Robbers all around. So here's the question that they asked themselves. 
If I stop, catch this, what will happen to me? Is that fair? If I stop, what will happen to me? And then Jesus continues the story. But a Samaritan, and by the way, people that are listening, they get it. They get why the priest and the Levite wouldn't stop. They know how dangerous that road is. They know that also, by the way, if they just came from a service, they couldn't be defiled by the blood and all that stuff. I mean, they get it. They're sitting there going, yeah, okay, so keep going. What's the story here? Let's go. And so he says here, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which, by the way, means now he is walking. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins. That's four weeks worth of money here. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. I mean, I want to take care of this guy. I mean, this guy really took care of this. He actually stayed that night. He wasn't so busy, and he wasn't so afraid to take care of this guy. And Jesus is telling this story, and everybody's listening, and they're saying, wow, Samaritan guy, that's pretty amazing. Because everybody knows how much the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And so you would think that this is a story about loving even the people you hate. That's not what this story is about. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? My flight back from Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, I was so tired, man, I just wanted to go to sleep. Just, just, Just go to sleep. And luckily I had an aisle seat sitting towards the back. And these two moms come in with two children. One was an infant, the other one was like 11 or something. And the two moms with the infant sat there. The infant was in the middle seat. The two moms were on the other side of 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 that. And the 11-year-old was at the window here. And I thought I'd be a good Samaritan. And I said, would you... I'll take the window if you want to sit next to your mom. And she said, no. (laughs) And then she put on a headset and just went to sleep. Like, she knew something. So then I decided, you know, I I, I pray. I actually did. I prayed. (laughs) This is terrible. I feel terrible about this now. But I prayed. I said, God, please, let this kid, this infant, be quiet. I mean, you know, I love kids, but please, God, I'm just, I have a headache. I'm telling you, you know what I've been through. I just want to go home, God, please. And the moment I said amen, the kids started screaming (laughs) and crying. A four-hour flight 
of screaming and crying. And then it turned from bad to terrible because the kid got sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, he was like losing everything from every part of his body. I mean, the indescribable stuff was all over everything. And I could see it. I was like, oh. And I looked at the girl. I'm like, I get what you're saying now, man. I know why you didn't want to sit here. And it was like sticking up the whole airplane. And it was, you could see it. I was like, I can't believe the woman in the aisle seat tried so hard to, to, to clean, patiently comfort and clean this, this, this little infant. But the in, infant kept crying and, and kept stuff coming out, you know, and I'm just try to clean up the mess. And we finally landed. My nose was hurting. My ears were hurting. And then we stood up. We all just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> and the flight attendant kind of made her way through people standing up with all kinds of paper towels in her head. And she goes up to the woman in the aisle and says, here, this is for your kid so you can clean her up. And she said, oh, that's not my kid. I don't even know who these people are. And I thought, wow. Now that's love. <laughs> right? Like, why would she do this? I mean, if Jesus was still in that story, he would say, which one did the right thing? Was it the pastor sitting in the aisle seat? The infant's mother sitting on the window seat? Or the strange woman? Who everybody thought was the mom. I love the answer that this guy gives the expert of the law replied, <coughs> excuse me, the one who had mercy on him. You catch that, by the way? He doesn't say the Samaritan guy. Right? Because that's, that's who it was. He doesn't even, I can't even get that out of my mouth. I can't even say the word Samaritan. Can't be the Samaritan guy. right? But, but okay, it's so the one that had mercy on him. And then Jesus says these words, go and do likewise. And you know what? I think the expert got it. I can't. I just don't have it in me. I think Jesus was actually saying, what if it were you bleeding and dying, Mr. Expert? On the side of the road, in the stench of your own feces and your own blood and the only hope you had was grace what would you do would you accept it who do you identify with in this story i tell you who you should maybe jesus was saying well, who we should be identifying with is not the levite it's not the priest it's not even the good samaritan although we would all love to identify with him i think what we ought to be identifying with is the person that is bleeding and dying on the side of the road. 
Right? Perhaps on the road to Jericho doing that descent, what if the person who had every reason to neglect and consider us our enemy, who had every reason to, to hate us and be angry with us, chose rather to walk down the same path as us, take upon himself our pain, pour the Holy, Holy Spirit oil upon us, spill his own blood that we could, that's what the wine represent, doesn't it? I mean, we don't, we, we, all this symbolism, we, don't you miss it. I think what Jesus was saying is, you are the ones dying, and I am the one that's going to come and save you. I'm the one that's hated. I'm the one, but listen to me, I'm the one that should be hating you, but I don't. I love you. I love you. I love you. This is not about how good you could be or how much karma you can get because you did something good. This is not about that. This is about the fact that there was not enough good in this world that we could do to earn our salvation. That was the question, wasn't it? What must I do to earn eternal life? Nothing. Because you can't. But Jesus can. I asked the worship team to come up here. You know, Jesus wants to lavish his love on us. Just like the Good Samaritan lavished his love on this poor dying guy on the street. In fact, he didn't even care who he was. He probably couldn't even tell because he was half naked. All he knew was that he had pity on him. We're going to sing a song here. Some of the words in the song, I'm going to say them to you right now because sometimes we sing these songs and we don't realize what we're actually saying. But I challenge you to say these words as if you're praying, Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross. Accused in absence of wrong, my sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. You died in my place so my soul will live. And it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of your love that my soul would live. That's it period, nothing else. So be a good neighbor. But most of all, accept the healing love that Jesus wants to give us, each and every one of us. Amen?